This is Nancy. And this is Dana. And you're listening to the NY Foodie Family Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the NY Foodie Family Podcast. In this we are talking about making your own food tour. So for my last birthday and Mother's Day the past couple of years, instead of going out to a restaurant for brunch or for dinner, I've been planning food tours for the family. Do you remember any of those, Dana? Yeah, we've actually had some really good ones. Um, I remember doing a bunch in the city. Uh, we did the Freak Shake tour sometime last year, I believe. But um, yeah, you put a fair amount of planning into it, and we make a full day out of it, and we get some good food. And it's a great way to spend some time together, for sure. Yes, we've done the Freak Shake tour. I know we did a New York City ice cream food tour where we went to Taiyaki to get the ice cream in the fish cone and we had the rolled ice cream for the first time and I think we might have done gelato Uh, so we had a bunch of different ice creams Um, and then we also did New Rochelle and Port Chester I think for Mother's Day last year if I recall correctly. I believe we made a stop for Greek Uh, we had uh, pizza there was there's quite a few things on that tour the Danoli at Pops Espresso. Yeah. The, the donut cannoli. Yes. Yeah. I forgot about that one. So I highly recommend um, making a food tour, which is a lot of fun for the family. So you might want to know how do you make a food tour? So uh, I know you have your own method, but it doesn't have to be super fancy. You could pick uh, a city. Uh, New York City is a great one. Uh, although maybe there's too many choices to kind of have to whittle it down to maybe a neighborhood. So maybe not a full city in that instance, uh, maybe a type of food. So freak shakes are pretty far and wide. Um, we mentioned that uh, a couple episodes ago, so that makes it easy. Although a little bit farther to see the few places that offer that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that one had us driving around Westchester a bit for that one. But you can also pick a town. So for us, I know I'd pick New Rochelle because it was across the county and it's not someplace that we would normally go to or that's close to us. So to spend an afternoon there, you know, was a good time. It was a good chance for us to get there and to get it all not out of the way, but get it all done in a day, I guess. So we didn't have to keep going back and forth. Although there are tons of places there. I could go back again and we could... I could totally plan a bunch of different places that we didn't get to because there's so many over there. But yes, we we did hit a couple. So why don't you share kind of your thought process? You know, how do you come up with either what you've done in the past or what you'd like to do in the future? What's your what's your 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 method? Most of my places honestly come from Instagram. You know, when I see pictures of different dishes and hear about new places opening, I kind of just add it to a list in my notes uh, in my phone and just to keep kind of keep track of, oh yeah, I'd like to go there or try that. And when the occasion arises for us to 
be able to do a food tour. I then just kind of compile them based on either location or like you said, um, a food theme. If that, if there's enough of the same type of food. So would you have ideas that are just waiting for an occasion or once you have an occasion, you start putting together ideas? Usually it's waiting for the occasion. I, at least on birthdays and Mother's Day, the day's mine. So I can kind of plan where I want to go and none of the kids can complain. And we usually don't have time constraints since it's my day and nothing else is planned. So we can travel farther and be able to commit to a whole day. And, you know, that that's really where it kind of revolves around. Not that they complain all that often. They mostly complain about you know, uh, not knowing where we're going. So we do like to keep it a bit of a surprise on, on, you know, where we're heading for the day. True. And our kids really enjoy food like we do. So when food is involved, there usually isn't too much complaining. Yeah. We, and we usually don't mind telling them it's a, it's a, it's a food tour. They're usually on board. So it's right. usually not a huge problem. Yeah. But yeah, it's a little harder on like in just an everyday weekend to be able to commit to something like that. So Agreed. So, yeah, if you're interested in doing a food tour, I recommend you either, you know, check your Instagram feed, maybe check Yelp or check different magazines, blog posts of local people um, to see what interests you. And then once you've compiled your list of food choices and or locations map it out or copy us we've we've done quite a few and i think we've written about at least two three i'm not sure i know i definitely did the freak shake one i'm not sure if i've actually posted the new rochelle portchester or the ice cream i think i might have done the ice cream food tour that one might might be on the blog i'll have to check and if we you know if we i do have the posts i will add them to the show notes uh otherwise you could definitely check my instagram feed because i do post pictures of everything on there as well yeah and uh feel free to send us your thoughts and ideas of things that uh maybe you'd like to do or would like us to do we're we're all here so feel free to send send your ideas yes we're very open and i'd like to actually do some food tours more north of us in Dutchess County. Uh, I know we haven't hit that area as much. So yes, definitely looking for your recommendations. Please email us at nyfoodiefamilypodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you on that one. Stay tuned for some more. In this next segment, we are talking about the Dutchess County Fair. The Dutchess County Fair is held every year in August. This year, it's taking place from August 20th to 25th at the Dutchess County Fairgrounds in Rhinebeck, New York. And it's actually the 174th year of the fair. I did not know it's been going on that long. I thought for sure a while, but that's, that's, that's quite a while. Yeah, it's crazy. We actually have not gone you and I in several years um, because our kids visit Dana's parents who live up in Ulster County and part of their annual 
week of spending time with their grandparents involves going to the fair with them. So that's been recent. So it's been a couple of years. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I was there. We used to go pretty much every year and we'd see the uh, the sheep and the cows and the goats and uh, eat some fried food. But I, I really can't remember the last time you and I've been. Yeah, it's been a while. So you can definitely plan a full day at the Dutchess County Fair. There are competitions and exhibitions in food, livestock, horticulture, and more. There's rides. There's lots of different food. There's all kinds of vendor shops selling things. So it is a lot of fun. I think we won a goldfish one one year, didn't we? Yes, we did. I think there might have been two or three goldfish, actually. I remember a a picture of me holding, like, several bags. And now there's no goldfish. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. But they didn't last very long. I don't know whose fault that was. Uh, But, yeah, that was fun, winning those. Um, Do you remember some of the food that we've eaten? I remember... They used to have, and I don't know if they still do because again we haven't been there. Is uh, barbecue place? Okay, yes, yeah, I remember. and I remember uh, getting pierogies one year. I do remember pierogies. They seemed pretty legit, um, like three or four different kinds of pierogies. I didn't even know there were so many different kinds of pierogies. And yeah, your standard fried food places and probably baked potatoes and, and things like that, but. Uh, a fair amount of selection, and despite it being pretty crowded, I don't remember it being huge lines, although I do remember that when the kids were really litter- little and we had a stroller, it was difficult to find a place to park that thing. Yeah, I was going to say, there are a lot of food places, and the lines might not, might not be long, but I do remember also having difficulty finding a place to eat, to sit and eat, which... You know, when, because yeah, tends... when the kids are really little, it is a problem. But if you're uh, if you're older and you can just stand around and munch, that's probably where you're going to end up. The seating is lacking, as I remember it. Right. And I believe we probably went on a weekend, which would probably be busier than a weekday. When they're yeah. Just and up. it goes it goes what Saturday to Sunday to the following Saturday and Sunday, typically late August. Yeah, I'm not even sure what days the 20th to the to the 25th are. Maybe a Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sat- Tuesday through Saturday, maybe. So not even two year? weekends. Oh, no, no, it's like six days. Oh, which is why that one weekend is the one we had to go to, and why right. it's super busy. Is, okay. Yeah. All right, so you couldn't even split up the major crowds, and especially when things started getting later, uh, it would just get really, really busy. But now, yep, if there's only one weekend, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and I know you always want to get a milkshake when we were there. The $5 milkshake at the 4-H barn? I I guess that's one that I just know you always, you were always like, we need to get the milkshake. We got, got the, you know, listen, you got to support, you got to support the 4-H, right? So it, it's totally. not because I want the milkshake. It's because you got to, you got to support the, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, even when it was 10 a.m. and you know, breakfast time, you know, we always say, you know, eat dessert anytime because you were on that line. Well, they, uh, they were really good and they could be 10 bucks by now for all I know. I, I have no idea. 
Right. And the line, they're, they're very popular because that line by the end of the day or like the afternoon when we'd walk by was super long. So I guess, you know. They were, they were doing pretty well and good for them. They came out with uh, something really delicious. And I remember the milk being either local, dairy, something like that. Um, but I would hope the 4-H would have access to excellent ingredients. Yes, and I don't know if they do this every year, but I was reading that uh, they are having a spork run contest for the food concessions. So this year's theme is sides, and the participating vendors have created a new food item specifically for the contest. So if you're at the fair, uh, not every food vendor participates, but they do, I guess, have a little sign if they are participating. And if you do try one of their, you know, specialty items for this contest, you can vote using the Duchess Fair app. And at the end, a winner will be crowned. So food items and the descriptions are available on the Dutchess County Fair website. But there were things like buffalo blue fries and crab mac and cheese, which are definitely not what I consider normal fair food. So No, those both sound really, really good. I, I would I'd have a tough time voting if, even if it was those two. Yeah, so there's a whole, you know, variety of different side dishes that uh, food concessions are entering into this contest. So, you know, love to see pictures on Instagram and hear all about the, the tasty food. You know, considering that they've been around for 174 years, I think they could just kind of, you know, sit back and rest on their laurels, but they, they keep innovating and, you know, bringing in the crowds every year. I, I, I congratulate them on not getting, super boring after after so long yeah it sounds like they're trying to keep it fresh and you know adding new things some also some of the exhibits i know was the birthing tent did we watch a cow being born there i i don't know if we can call that a tent it was it was in one of the exhibition barns, uh, barns buildings you know the uh the long uh, metal ex- exhibition halls if you will uh, but we did see a cow, a fresh, brand new cow pop out, which was yep. fun. And I believe right near there was the petting zoo, where the kids could actually pet the animals and feed them, possibly. I believe we have we have uh, definitely done that too, and you, you get to wander around and you know crank the quarter for a couple a uh, couple pellets of feed, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it was a good variety of animals too, as I remember. Right, and I think over by the 4-H side where they have the exhibit and stuff one year i believe we milked goats i believe i milked a goat and got like a sticker i think you did (laughs) i do remember that how did it work out (laughs) i did it you did it uh i don't know i don't recall doing this but i was uh seeing there is a butterfly encounter and gorilla science this year is having two interesting uh, foodie exhibits on the science of food. One is called Entomorphotron, where it's a little like pop-up diner type uh, exhibit where they're serving up bugs and introducing guests to the practice of eating insects, which I think is interesting. Are there samples? I'm not sure if they're samples or if you have to purchase them. I'm not sure 
how that is going to go, but we'll have to tell the kids to make sure they check that out and report back to us. Um, and then there's also Gorilla Science is having an exhibit called Flavor Feast with a where they'll be showcasing multisensory food experiments focusing on flavor perception. You know, how we perceive sweet, sour, etc. So uh, we'll definitely have the kids check those out for us. We'll have them take some notes and report back. Yeah, because I'd love to hear what those were like. And if they're offered a cricket, I hope they eat the cricket. <laughs> I know. That's something that we have not done. I would do it. I would try it at least once, right? I think a lot of bug eating is uh, in, in flour, as I understand it. So you're not necessarily eating something you could recognize as having been a bug. Right. But... Not like crunching into it. Not crunching into an actual, oh, I can recognize the, the head on this thing, but uh, flour made with uh, crickets and grasshoppers. Yes. So just yeah. powders, uh, high protein, uh, good nutrition. Uh, they're, you know, very low cost to, to make. So, you know, in our uh, ever-growing world, this might be a good source of protein around the world. Yes. And I think that's also a big part of the education part of that exhibit is talking about that so or teaching about that i should say well it sounds like fun we have uh, we'll have to send our uh, mini reporters out there yeah so entertainment wise there's always music at the end at the fair and this year i believe lanco i've not heard of them me neither uh dylan scott and chris daughtry are some of the bigger acts who will be performing but there are also different different shows going on throughout the day i'm trying to recall what we had seen while we were there was it there that we saw calf wrangling and uh, hog wrangling things like that oh i don't remember or was that a different place i know and i was thinking also of like a a dog acrobat show but that was at the new york state fair when the kids were up and i were went a couple summers ago up in syracuse so that wasn't there but i do recall the performances going on around the fair since it is a big space you know different things are going on there's always something going on and if you happen to catch you know uh best in show of uh different breeds of Hogs and cows and sheep, you know, that's that's why the 4-H folks are there to show off their uh, livestock raising skills. Yes. So there's a good chance to see, you know, the best of a particular type of animal. That, that could be fun if you're into that thing. Yep, and they're local. Certainly are. So just some details if you're interested in checking out the Dutchess County Fair. It is taking place, like I said, August 20th to 25th. And it's open from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. There is free parking. Again, the earlier you get there, the better and closer your parking will be. Um, admission is $15 for adults, $8 for seniors 65 and over, and children 11 and under are free. Advanced tickets can be purchased online for a slight discount on those prices. And for the rides, ride tickets are four for five dollars or twenty-two for twenty dollars. However, Wednesday and Thursday only of 
the fair, they are, will be selling $25 ride all day wristbands. I remember our kids don't do the rides often. I do remember once or twice doing a couple rides. So I can't, we can't tell you if the ride all day wristband is a good deal or not. I don't recall how many uh, tickets it is for each ride. I remember each ride being, though, at least a few tickets. So if you're in for three or four tickets a piece and then you got two kids going, you're in for eight or ten tickets per ride, um, you're going to run out of tickets pretty quick. So it adds up. My guess is that the wristbands overall are much better value than the tickets. However, how many rides you actually want to do, that's up to you. Right. So, right. It's dependent on, you know, whether you or your kids enjoy rides and how much time you want to spend doing that well it sounds like fun they they have fun without us every year but uh we'll, we'll make it back up eventually right and i like that they get to do that with your parents so you know that's their special thing so i remember us having to park really really far away especially with the strollers so um i don't mind having to not make that park and walk but we'll make we'll make it back right so yes if you're looking for something to do towards the end of the summer plan to check out the Dutchess County Fair. In this segment, we're going to talk about one of our favorite things besides eating, of course, um, that we've been doing for the last, I want to say, two, three years, and it is geocaching. And a lot of people have not heard about it or know what it is. Uh, Nance, why don't you tell our listeners... You know, how we got into it, what you know, you know, what are your thoughts? I think we first heard about geocaching from our friend Ashley, who had been doing it with her family. And we downloaded the app, which I highly recommend. And I do have a blog post on using the geocaching app, as well as what we pack in our geocaching bag. But geocaching is basically like an outdoor scavenger hunt. So using the app on our phone, it uses directions and helps us find hidden caches. And once you find them, there's usually different prizes or things inside, which the kids found really fun. Um, And we make sure that we bring some prizes with us So it's kind of like a take one, leave one, and you sign the log. And it's just kind of a rewarding thing to be doing outside. Did that pretty much, can you add to that? Or did I sum it up? That pretty much sums it up. But let's say that they're hidden to people that don't know any better because you don't want people tripping over them and and ruining them. So let's say uh, you're in the woods, you're on a hike. Uh, It'll be... Maybe not too far off the beaten trail. Maybe it'll be inside of a, uh, uh, a tree. Maybe it'll be under a little collection of rocks that don't maybe look like much. Or, uh, as I understand, and we haven't done a bunch of this, uh, they could be right in the middle of a city. I know there's quite a few in um, White Plains and New York City and all over the country, all over the world, where you can hide things where you would think, um, how did that get here? And if you're not looking for it because the, you know, the app has not given you the location of it, then, you know, people just go on their daily lives and tens of thousands or 
hundreds of thousands of people can walk right past these things, which is kind of fun that you're in on a little secret. Right, and you're not supposed to be uncover it when there are other people around. So it is kind of like a secret hidden thing. Uh, so using the app, there is a free version of the app, which just limits the number of caches that you can see uh, around you. If you pay, the premium is version, I believe, is $9.99 for three months or $29.99 for the year. And once you have access to that, you see them all over the place. Like Dana mentioned, they're not just in the woods, although most of the caches that we have found have been on hikes because that in the beginning was a way to motivate and entice the kids to be outside and be like, oh, we're going to go geocaching. We're going to find, you know, you want to go find a cache, you know, you want to find a prize, that kind of thing. Uh, but they are all over uh, suburban areas and cities, all over. And yeah, our, our friend Ashley, as we mentioned, has found what hundreds of them all over the place. And I think so. Yeah. 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 It takes takes some, some real dedication to to find them all, but um, yeah, I, I think the the free ones are probably a little bit more likely to be roughed up a little bit, maybe not where they should be. The uh, the premium ones, you, you definitely can tell the difference that um, there's a little bit more respect in keeping the, uh, the the premium ones a little bit better hidden, rehidden the way they, they're supposed to be, um, you know, not destroyed, not missing. So I think the uh, the premium ones do make a big difference to not just having less of them with the free version, but I think the lesser ones are kind of like the uh, um, typically more abused sites, if that makes sense. I guess. I know the premium ones also have some of those puzzle ones, which are actually, I think, kind of difficult. I don't even think we found some of them. We've tried, got a little frustrated, like the multi-step ones. Yeah. Like, oh, solve this thing this part to get this clue and we never actually find the location with the cache i think we did once it took us a while because we just we, we refused to give up on step four or five whatever it is in uh, peak sale by the by the uh, waterfront yeah by the waterfront yeah. yeah so typically the prizes because these caches are not most of the caches i should say are not large so if you're thinking like what kind of prizes or what kind of things would you find inside some of the things are just like rocks like nature things maybe rocks or shells and some things are also like pins or stickers or just small toys so we had collected a lot of the you know goodie bag prizes that the kids would get bouncy balls and little toys and we'd keep them in the bag and those are the things that we would leave in exchange for whatever they would take yeah take a trinket leave a trinket and to kind of give a better description number one a, a well-maintained cache will have typically a little roll of paper you sign your name or your nickname and the date that you were there so you'll see a long list of people that may have been there a couple days ago or a couple months ago if uh, you know if it's if it's been a while uh, i would say for the most part they're the size of uh, film canisters for those of you that remember what that is yeah those are i think the most popular size that we've seen and they're they're typically wrapped up even even in uh camouflage uh tape 
So it's a little less likely, even though uh, they're, they're pretty small. And we've seen ones as big as um, ammo like, cans. Yeah, I was going to say the boxes with like, yeah. But those are typically at the top of a mountain because you can't hide those as <laughs> hide those as well. Right. So those would be really off the beaten path or in a much like less likely site to people uh, just stumbling across it. So th- the top of a more difficult hike, um, you know, maybe 100 yards off the beaten path. Um, those those kind of big ones are hard, hard to find. It, well, hard to hide first. And we also log it in the app that we found it. So what's good about the app is that you can see like a little smiley face appears on the the caches that you have found. So if there's a certain area that you is near you or that you tend to frequent, you can see which ones you've already found. So, you know, a lot of times you can't find them all just because it takes, it does take a lot of time. Uh, So you can go back and know which ones you still have to find in that. Yeah, it gives you a little little sense of accomplishment, one find at a time. Yep. And I do have to say, we have not been geocaching lately. More recently, we have gotten into hiking and actually doing the hike. So this was really great when the kids were younger a couple of years ago as an introduction to getting them outside. Now that they're a little older, I find it's more fun to actually do the hike I find that when we do geocache, we end up spending a lot of time searching for the cache. So we're not actually completing a hike. So at this point, I'd rather devote the hours to the hike. But it really is your preference. And I guess your goal when you go out, do I want to find a cache or do I want to, you know, complete the hike? That kind of thing. So it's a matter of preference, I think. Matter of preference. And as I recall, our last few days of cash searching were frustrating. We, like we were circling around one on the side of a side of a mountain, just could not find it. So I think there's a little frustration baked into us uh, maybe taking a little bit of a break, too. That's 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 my take on it. Right. So but something we haven't done recently, which we should. Yeah, well, uh, the winter is not great. Uh, the summer has been hot, so maybe this fall we'll put three months on the on the timer and go go search some more out. Yeah, so it's definitely something fun. It's a great intro to getting your kids out into the outdoors, and it's something that the whole family can do. So it's nice, and you know, like I said, when you get to, if you do find the cash, uh, and most of them do have prizes it's fun and rewarding for the kids as well. Yeah, definitely a sense of accomplishment to say, oh, you know what? I've walked past this particular location a few dozens, hundreds of times. And I didn't realize that something was right there uh, under my feet or at my eyes. And uh, now, you know, you feel like you're in a little secret, which is fun. Yep. So if you haven't tried geocaching, we highly recommend and would love to hear how it goes for you. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap things up with Quick Hits next. So we're wrapping things up with our Quick Hits segment. The first Quick Hit I'm going to talk about is books being made into movies. In last week's episode, I talked about summer reading and for adults and lists and 
ideas for books to read, I thought I'd follow up with several books that are being made into movies coming up that you might want to check out because I've always found that the book is always better than the movie uh, and they're worth checking out before you see the movies coming up. So the first one is The Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth Stein. That's currently out now. I am actually currently rereading this book after I had given it to my 13-year-old daughter to read and she loved it. So worth checking out. Have you read that one, Dane? I have not read that one, as we established last week, that I have not quite read too many books this year. But yes. this this comes highly recommended, so if, if there's time, I will certainly hit that one. Yes, I'll hopefully be finishing that soon and give it to you. Uh, also, Where'd You Go Burn It Debt by Maria Semple is coming out August 16th. The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt is coming out September 13th. And The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn will be out October 4th. And those are all popular books. I think the newest release is The Woman in the Window. And I've actually read that one. That's more of a suspense type read, psychological suspense thriller. Uh, So, you know, again, summer's not over yet. If you're looking for something to read, you might want to check out one of those books before the movies hit theaters. Now, you're always saying that uh, you know, can Hollywood come up with an original idea? And I got to say that probably book movies turn out to be better than some other lousy films that keep churning out. However, like you say, it's very, very rare to get a better movie than the book. You know, what, what's your thought on, you know, why can't Hollywood come up with a fairly original idea? I have no idea because I'm the one who's always telling you when I see these releases, I'm like, oh, my gosh, another book. They're making another book into a movie. I guess, you know, if it's a really good story, why not? I guess, you know, why can't why can't filmmakers just write their own movies? Although, you know, I guess if there's a constant flow of decent books being put out, this is nothing new. You know, book movies coming out for forever. So I guess that's just just the way it is. Well, Art of Racing in the Rain is a really old book. So I want to say to early 2000s, possibly. So it's not, you know, as new. The Woman in the Window is fairly new, probably with last year that one came out. So it's interesting how the time frame as well, when they finally say, hey, you know, let, let's make that a movie. Hmm. Or maybe it's been in development for the last 20 years. Who knows? Oh, they just couldn't yeah. get it done. <laughs> I don't know. But yes, I am definitely one of those people who wants to read the book first. So if you're like that, check these out. So now you're going to talk about the Hudson Oven. So the Hudson Oven is actually a really fascinating idea. Um, it's pretty new, I think. The, uh, the Hudson Oven is a semi-secret cabinet full of delicious bread somewhere around here and this let's say somewhere around here is somewhere in the lower hudson valley yeah i want to say along the hudson river area okay and it's if you if and when you find it and if it if and when there's still bread in there and it's it's put out on sundays only as 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 i understand it 
is that you pay what you feel it's worth. Uh, they're, they're, they would say that they typically get around 5 to $6 uh, in honesty money per loaf to keep the thing uh, going. They're really looking for about eight. That's, the, that's what they consider the value of what looks to be some pretty delicious breads and granolas and they feel is, is, uh, is good to put out there. Um, yeah, the, uh, the curator, I guess, you, if you will, works full time at Stone Barns at the uh, education center. And his name is Chase Harnett. Chase Harnett. And he's only 23. Yeah, only 23. And he came up with this pretty fascinating idea. I guess, you know, when you're 23, you're maybe uh, a little bit more in tune with uh, having people find stuff on social media and reporting back in on it and having something a little bit more fun like that. But um, yeah, we, we have to go out there and check that out. The The pictures of, of what I've seen, uh, that, that looks delicious. Looks really right? delicious. So um yeah, it, it, I think I think it's okay if you if you get two as long as you're buying two. It's really not a come steal the whole cabinet thing. But if you wanted to <laughs> eat one and freeze one, I think that's, that's something they say is, is okay. So go go out there and find it. So how how do people but, get in tune with you know how to go find it? Right. So you have to go to the website, thehudsonoven.com, I believe, and sign up for the newsletter. And you'll be emailed the location, I guess, prior to Sunday or Sunday morning as to where it will be for that day. And like you mentioned, it's only on Sundays. I'm not sure if it's every Sunday, but I think for the past couple of weeks it has been. But the location does change. So we just recently found out about this and I just signed up today for the email list. So I will hopefully will hopefully discover where this Sunday's location will be. How, how many clues is it clues? Do they give you a pretty close location? Because as I understand it, it's it's a slightly off where people will just kind of bump into it. But, you know, do you know how it works? I have no idea. Well, we have some reporting sure back. They to do tell on you that. The, yeah, I'm not sure if they tell you the exact location or give you a clue to the location so yes we'll definitely have to do some reporting this is like geocaching with brett i like it yeah <laughs> pretty good reward very good reward and then uh yeah i i would think somebody who works full-time at stone barns would be an expert in whatever they do true so that very sounds true. like fun so our next quick hit is uh supper club and this this month's theme was Brazilian. So yes, for, take it away on Brazilian. Well, before I just want to give a quick little intro about our supper club, and we'll probably have to do a whole segment about this uh, one day soon. But we have a supper club with two other couples who we've known for over ten years now, thirteen years, something like that. So- Coming up on 13, it's got to be real close on that. Cause, right. Because we didn't all have kids uh, when we started out. Yeah, I don't think so. So I guess 13 years, which is crazy, uh, with two other couples. And we meet every month. And each month, there's a different theme. And we take turns hosting. So this last weekend, the theme was Brazilian. So we started out with two drinks. You want to talk about the drinks? 
I do. So first off, everything Brazilian equals limes for us. The uh, the tiny green fruit we bought, what was it, 22 of them? 22 limes. 22 limes, which wasn't all for the drinks, but a lot of them. Uh, so both drinks required a lot of chopped limes. Uh, the first was a Brazilian lemonade, which has no lemon in it. It's all lime. <laughs> Maybe there's a translation or mistranslation from uh, lemon or lime from, from the Portuguese. I, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, but it was, it was made with limes, made with uh, sweetened condensed milk, uh, which comes in a can, which typically I think we've only done baking with it. And probably only enjoyed Thai tres leches. coffees, tres yeah. leches. Okay, so a lot of baking things and Thai iced coffee, which which is something I have to get whenever we go out for Thai. And uh, water and ice and... A little it, sugar. It asks for a lot of sugar. So when we multiplied out to get a whole pitcher of it, it was asking for two whole cups of white sugar. So I think I got it down to half a cup, which gave it a little bit more tangy versus... Uh, sweet, which that was that was for my taste, but hey, listen, listen, if you want two cups, go with two cups. As they say, people make their own Brazilian lemonades to their own liking, so it could be more lime, less lime, you get the idea. Um, but those components seem to be the uh, traditional components and ingredients, so I guess it's how you put it all together, it's up to you. Uh, so you chop up the lime and you actually chop it up with the skin on because what you want to do is get the essential oils from the, uh, from the, from the outside and, uh, and then you strain that out. So you're kind of pressing out, not just the juice, but the, uh, the oils too. And that really kind of leads to a, uh, very rewarding, um, limeade, lemonade, call what, call what you will. So that was, that was our, our non-alcoholic selection. And then our, uh, alcoholic selection was, uh, Calparinha which is the national drink of Brazil. And, you know, when we're searching for the, how are we going to make a drink uh, for our theme? If it's the national drink, it makes it really easy. So that was, yes. that was kind of a, we, we lucked out on that. We lucked out on that one. And that is made with limes again and ice and uh, just the, I think it's the, the national booze of Brazil. Cachaca. Did I get the right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, Dana was, we thought we knew how to pronounce this thing. You found a, an app for a website. No, it was a YouTube video on just how to pronounce it. <laughs> and, and I still forgot. Cachaca. Cachaca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like rum. People compare it to rum. It's made with pressed sugar cane. So I guess that's how, why people compare it. Um, but it's, it's not rum. It's very clear. We, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty strong. And uh, I, yeah. I thought the end result was refreshing. And, you know, well, Nance, what were your thoughts on that as always? <laughs> Too strong. Too strong. I don't really drink liquor. I'm not a hard alcohol drinker. So for me, I thought it was really, really strong. And I definitely preferred the lemonade, which is why I had you make it. Because I knew I would not be drinking this cocktail but everybody else seemed to enjoy it so you know yeah. and we we thoroughly enjoyed the uh, lemonade enough I, I made another batch tonight so it was yes because we had so many limes left over too we're down to how many two down to two we really really put in a championship lime effort on that one <laughs> yes 
So when you host, you make a cocktail to fit the theme and you are responsible for the mains. So I ended up making a Brazilian fish stew, which had cod and shrimp and it had layers of different vegetables as well as plantains, which our daughter enjoyed. (laughs) We had some leftovers for dinner after. And what did she say? The plantains really add to the soup. No, she said it brings it all together. Yes, yes. So yeah, our 13-year-old daughter trying the soup. Yeah, the plantains really bring it all together. Bring it all together. And what Um, did you make? So I made, don't worry about the, you know, the the Portuguese name. It's basically a giant chicken pot pie. Um, So instead of being made in a pie dish uh, with the crust bottom and crust top uh this was made in a cheesecake um tin is that what you call cheesecake things uh springform pan yeah springform pan that sounds a lot sounds a lot better uh so it's cylindrical and you press the dough into it and the dough is 99 percent butter uh roughly by by calculation there were three sticks um and and flour enough to hold it together so it was very buttery not light not light at all. Um, so you press that in there, and then you uh, you put in, you know, what what turns out to be a slightly Brazilian version of um, you know chicken pot pie filling. It had the the corn and the peas in there too, uh, but it had hearts of palm and olives, which is uh, slightly less traditional from uh, maybe a European standpoint. And then you put all that in there, and you put more crust uh, crumbles on top, and you bake it and um, well, I, I had some slight problems in delivering it. Once I, once I popped the spring form open, it, it looked really nice. Uh, however, just, on cutting it. Yeah, just couldn't, didn't hold everything. It didn't hold it. I had a little bit of a uh, uh, Vesuvius uh, trying to make its way down the mountain. And it, I served it as quickly as I could. Uh, but it turned out to be scooping instead of slicing. So um, it still tasted good. Tasted good. Yeah, a lot, lot of uh, buttery crust and tasty insides, but uh, definitely a fail on the serve. Um, I admit it. Yeah. And to be clear on uh, kind of how we, we structure, so we rotate between all three houses. The host, as we uh, discussed, does the main and the uh, beverages usually. And it keeps it simple for, you know, who's buying typically the more expensive items. We had fish this week where we might not use fish if we were traveling to the other uh, other houses. And just imagine trying to transport a fish stew. Yeah, no. It's going to be big and it's going to be hot and it might not travel that well. You know, you don't want to show up with cold fish. So that's that's where typically the mains get served at the house. And, and it keeps things, you know, all fair and equal in the end. Yes, and we had some delicious sides to go with our uh, fish stew and pot pie. There were beans with kale. Um, and sausage. Was, yes. Kale sausage. and sausage. There was a uh, salad with crab and mango and more of those hearts of palm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the... Tiny cheesy buns. Yep. Little cheese bread rolls. And then for dessert, there was banana pie with ice cream 
So it was all delicious as Great. usual. I have to say these meals are, you know, we, we always know we're going to have a good meal when we have supper club. So. And then we usually end up surprising each other with just bringing it up another level every single time. And we think, ah, this is probably about as good as, good as it's going to get. And then next month it's like, oh, well, that was even slightly better than I expected. So <laughs> it turns out really well. Exactly. So I had posted some pictures in my Insta stories, but I will do a post with some pictures of the dishes. So you can check that out. Uh, another quick hit is M&M's has a new flavor joining its lineup. And I bring this up only because M&M's are one of Dana's favorite candies. So earlier this year, they had a vote, a campaign for, to introduce a new flavor. So the uh, flavors were Mexican jalapeno peanut, Thai coconut peanut, or English toffee peanut. Which one, Dana, do you think? We didn't have any of those when they were in the running. But which one do you think won? Um, which one would I like to win? I, I, I would really like the Thai coconut to win. Please tell me that one won. No, it didn't. The English toffee peanut is the winner. So you, we can expect to see that as a standard in their line now. So that will be one of the ones that you know, an addition to their other flavors. I guess I can deal with that. I, I do note that all three of those had peanut in them, or you know, maybe they yes. had a run on peanuts. Yeah. Extra peanuts lining around. But any any of those three, I, I, I would have been pretty happy with. Jalapeno, spicy. Yeah, that doesn't sound. No, that would have been good. It's, oh. it's, it's definitely outside the box. It is. For them. You don't think it would have sold, though? I don't. I don't know. Jalapeno seems to be in, but I personally don't think that would do it for me. I like sweet. I do like sweet and salty, but the English toffee sounds good to me. We'll have to try those. So is there no chocolate? It's a it's a wrapping of toffee on the outside? I think it's like the chocolate shell and a peanut maybe surrounded by maybe like a Heath bar, score bar type that sounds pretty good is what i can imagine i don't know we're now we're gonna have to go out and try them yeah we will so that did they have samples while people were voting on them or people just voting on them based on the name and what they were expecting them to be no i believe they actually had samples i i think they were making all of them for like a limited time and then people had to go vote for the winner that would be there like as a standby as like the an addition permanent addition Although if I had to go to M&M World in the city, I probably would have had to pass. I just, I try to avoid that kind of thing. Right. No, I don't think, yeah. I think it was in stores, I, but I don't recall seeing it, so. Well, we got to keep, got to keep our, our finger on the pulse of this kind of thing so we get, get samples. Yeah, now I need to go find these. Now we got to go find them. So, yes. Oh, well, next time. And now let's wrap things up with our restaurant business spotlight. What are we featuring this week? So this week we're featuring a um, pretty traditional Vietnamese restaurant in uh, New Paltz, uh, a little further up in the in the Hudson Valley, and it is a restaurant called I Pho. And follow me on the spelling here. So it's lowercase I, capital P, lowercase H, lowercase O. So Pho is in the soup. 
uh, famous to Vietnam, and then I in the front. Uh, I'm not sure why, but uh, it looked like a, a pretty good college uh, hangout. The, the The food was very reasonably priced. There were some, uh, let's say, some younger folks there, you know, downing. And I, I can imagine that, uh, you know, the tables would start filling up with um, late night, late night college students when when school's back in session. We were there for sure in the summer, right? It was a weekend. Was and when we were there, there were several families or end couples as well as younger people. I think a different demographic, different times of day, though. True. Yeah. And different day. Yeah. Different days and times, I think. Uh, but the food was good. You know, we're, we're partial to Vietnamese. Uh, at, as it stands, we, we try to test them out. Uh, you got to get some pretty standard items there to see how they perform on your uh, standardized test, I guess, if you will. So you got to get the, uh, the standard banh mi. Uh, it's typically known as the Saigon banh mi, which is a sandwich on a French bread with a uh, roast pork on it, typically, and some jalapeno on it, typically, and pork roll, not pork roll. Pate? Uh, pate, right. A pate, and typically... Um, other carrot, veggies, yeah. other veggies, a little bit of mayo, some spicy sauce. So that's that's typically what's on your standard banh mi sandwich, and that was really good. That's priced at a very reasonable seven seventy five. And then we had to try them out on the pho, especially since it's got pho in the name. And for a reasonable twelve ninety five, it was a giant bowl of pho. We got the special special beef style. Uh, yeah, with the, with the different kinds of beef. I think there's five different kinds of. Uh, beef, which was, um, you know, uh, slices of beef and beef meatballs and follow me here. It was actually really good, um, beef tendon, which is traditional for, uh, for Asian cooking. So that was, uh, that was really tasty too. And had, had a little side of veggies to put on there. So, so your veggies didn't get, uh, too mushy and some sprouts, I think. Right. Yeah to uh to stay crunchy on top they they bring that on the side on the little dish yeah and then you, you drop it in with to, the lime to, and the yeah yeah to keep you know to mix it as you like and i think there were some uh, some spicy sauces if you wanted it a little bit of spicier which is pretty traditional too to have a little bit of spicy but um and then we also got a uh, vermicelli dish which came with a little uh spring roll egg roll and um pork ground was it ground pork or sliced pork that is very chose? finely chopped i think yeah and it had uh, a vinegary sauce as i recall and it had more uh, crunchy vegetables and sprouts and things and that was actually really really good too so yeah between the four of us, we had three favorites. dishes yeah and we we're, we're, we're pretty full on that for lunch yeah we um vietnamese is not something that i know there's a lot of in Westchester. I think I've maybe heard of one restaurant possibly in Westchester. And I know we've been to the one in Dutchess County in Fishkill off of Route 9. Yeah. And we so, tested them out too. Got, got to try yeah. the standards. So to find another one in our travels when we were a little further up north was nice. So we usually always get the same things. The banh mi, the pho. And the vermicelli, and I can't pronounce the name of the vermicelli 
dish in Vietnamese. So we just no, have to say vermicelli. <laughs> and then we'll usually get that third thing. So whether it's uh, the vermicelli or something else, you know, we kind of do the banh mi standard, the pho standard, and one other thing. Can, you know, we don't we don't like to be too boring about it. Right. And we share between the four of us. Yeah, we share. Those, those banh mi's usually disappear pretty fast, too. Yeah, the kids love those. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, if you're looking for a new place to try up in the New Paltz area, we recommend IFA. So, this wraps up another edition of the NY Foodie Family Podcast. So, make sure to write to us if if you have any ideas on some things that you want us to uh, try out or report back in on, we're all ears. So, uh, Nance, where should I write to? You can email us at nyfoodiefamilypodcast at gmail.com. So we look forward to hearing from you guys, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.